A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome everybody to another episode of After Work Drinks With. This week we are so bloody excited to be speaking to Brandon Kyle Goodman, who is an actor and producer you probably know from the likes of Modern Love and Feel the Beat. But more recently, Brandon's work has involved viral videos on the topic of race, some of which have garnered millions of views. Brandon has been a really instrumental person in our own anti-racism education and we really wanted to speak to him now, eight weeks after the murder of George Floyd and the global movement that kind of took place following his death. We wanted to talk about the concept of allyship fatigue, being an effective ally, the difference between reactive and systemic change, and just how we can keep this conversation and education alive as a kind of long-term forever thing, which is where all of the lasting change and work will happen. So we're so thrilled that he agreed to take the time to talk to us. Yeah, we absolutely love this conversation. And we know that you guys, as our listeners, are really, really um, engaged and aware and want to make lasting change we know that our racism episode was one of our most listened to episodes to date plus all of our episodes where we've touched on it since and um so we know you guys really want to learn and grow and honestly this conversation is a really 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 great tool so thank you so much to brandon yes and thank you guys for listening we adore you and we will see you again on wednesday bye bye How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us. We're very excited. Of course. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I love seeing your um, this corner of your house in real, in real <laughs> time. I know. It's like yes. we're starstruck by the location <laughs> as well it. as you. I love it. How's your day been so far? 
Or what time is Pretty, it over there? So it's 11 in the morning in New Zealand where I am. Grace okay. is in Perth, so it's 7 a.m. I've like... Oh, wow. It's early. Yeah. I've done a workout. I've had my coffee. Yes. Um, so it's good. How's your day been? It's good. It's been a little long. I got up at um, five this morning and I did my meditation, had my workout, had a meeting, had another meeting, had another meeting. Now I'm here and then another meeting and then we'll have dinner. Wow. Is LA, um, are you doing still meetings all over Zoom or are you guys back in the office and stuff? So no, it's pretty much all on Zoom, but I did have one meeting that I did have to drive to, a socially distanced meeting um, at... <laughs> Uh, the creators very spacious homes so it was like fine um, yeah. but no, everything is still everything is pretty much still zoom um, and we're still I think LA is going back into lockdown but unclear yeah New Zealand is like so normal it's like this I know I heard you guys like <laughs> one of my friends is working in New Zealand he's here now but he's about to go back to New Zealand because he's shooting uh, Lord of the Rings out there uh, and it was so surprising that y'all are like good <laughs> it's, it's just it's just completely normal it's so funny we're just all out at bars and restaurants and stuff because our <gasps> prime minister just like actually does her job i know and yeah. and people actually listen to your prime minister yes. and it's like yeah. oh <laughs> shut it down cool they're like she they're like oh she actually has experience got Sweet. it cool <laughs> awesome. yeah it's crazy um okay we'll jump into things um and this is probably my most important no it's not my most important question but you start in my favorite episode of modern love and it was had it me, your favorite it was my favorite by far and i was sobbing like a fucking baby uh, I um it. i have to know and i'm pretty sure our listeners do too mm-hmm. what it was like being married to hot, hot priest, priest? andrew yes. scott the love of my life it was the love of my life. I, it was quite easy because he wasn't the hot priest at that point. Like, I don't know if the season had come out yet. So I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I didn't I know him. he was a hot priest. You were like, priest. yeah, you're like, I know you're I hot, like, but I don't know, I know you were yeah. like, with the church yet. Yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, he's hot. But like, I didn't know if there was like, <laughs> like he was hot. <laughs> uh, so it was actually great. And also I was, uh, I've talked about this. I was, uh, I became sick on set. Uh, like I got like a stomach flu and I was sick for like most of that shoot. So he was just a person, <laughs> quite honestly, it was just like, listen, I'm trying, I'm just trying not to poop my pants right now. So like, let's get, oh my God. <laughs> um, but he's wonderful and he was amazing to work with. And I learned so much from working with him and it, and it was, it was just a really overall beautiful, besides me being sick, it was a really beautiful experience. Yeah. We wanted to talk about acting and Hollywood in general, because I think to Australians, it feels like the craziest place to A, like want to work, B, like end up working. I don't disagree, but tell me why it's crazy. <laughs> I don't disagree. I, it, it's crazy. It just feels so detached from us, I guess, because we like never see really, Australians and New Zealanders watch American films and TV. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So Hollywood it has this extra level of like fantasy and detachment sure. for us. So we just wanted to know like when you realized you wanted to be an actor and then the actual process of being like, nah, I'm going to fucking do this. Like I'm going to yeah. LA, baby. Um, so my so my grandmother was a minister and my mother was an actress. So I, I grew up around that but not hollywood more broadway stage 
Um, and then I went to school for it, NYU for college for for drama. And when I got out, just being you know black, and I had come out of the closet, um, it felt like there wasn't a lot of work in theater for a you know a twenty year old black queer person. Um, but it seemed like there was space for us on film and TV. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to LA. Uh, and so that's kind of what happened. I went there, and it is crazy like how crazy you probably think it is it is it's insane and there are a lot of crazy people here and there are also a lot of beautiful wonderful uh kind people i'm from new york so i also had this like la is like this like superficial everyone sucks and it's terrible and then you get and you're like yeah there are some people like that but they're everywhere and then there are also some like fantastic people and some like people who are really trying to do some good stuff and i think for me, it was about finding those people uh, and like clinging on to them. And it is also like the thing with LA. So I lived there for three months this time last year. R. Yeah. RIP to like a hot free LA summer. Um, <laughs> Did you love it? I, a, a hot free LA summer sounds fabulous. Yeah. Did you love it? <laughs> yeah, I loved it so much. But it was this funny thing where it is just so, it's such another world because I would go to cafes to work. And I'd be sitting there and then I'd be sitting beside like some producers at, I don't know if it was like Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And they were like, Rami. And I was like, I know who you're talking about. (laughs) And then then, like we went to um, out for drinks on a Sunday night and then we were just drinking with um, like Kristen Stewart was just with my group of friends. And I was like, what is happening? And then now I'm just back in New Zealand with like sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. LA is wild because you're like, oh, a lot of people do live out here and they're so accessible. Like I remember my like first couple of weeks in LA I like went to sweet green and like walked by Ava DuVernay who was like oh sitting God. having her sweet green I was like we him salad oh my God. Sweet green. yeah it's wild yeah so sweet green it's it is insane to like feel like it is so close and is yet also so unattainable I'd yeah say. that's so true so you have been like incredibly instrumental in our journeys with anti-racism since the whole Black Lives Matter movement kicked off again um we've shared countless of your videos like pretty much every video we've shared and our followers and listeners have all really engaged with everything you've been saying um we did obviously want to just check in with you because we know that it's emotional labor for you to have to talk about these kinds of things especially with two white women um and we just wanted to make sure that you're open to chatting about the movement as a whole well i appreciate that that's really beautiful of you to do that i am absolutely open to it but that's such a beautiful um check-in and i i appreciate that i thank you for that but yes i am i'm open to talking about it so a big conversation that we've been having recently is the fact that we feel like there's this huge amount of progress being made in industries like hollywood and like the fashion industry um but then you talk to people who actually work in those industries and they're like that's kind of being oversold in a way yes um what has it been like experiencing it from the inside like does it actually feel like the needle is shifting or do you think that's being maybe overplayed it doesn't it is overplayed uh, and I'm happy to say it. And I actually just put out a video about an experience I had where um, I had a company that was a production company looking at one of my shows and and really saying all the beautiful things. And then um, when it came time to make the contract, uh, which would basically say like, you know, this is what my title or my role would be on the show. This would be how much ownership and money I would make off of the show. They were not it was not favorable at all to me. So then you have a situation where it's like, oh, this company wants 
says that they want to put out a show with a Black queer lead by a Black queer writer, but then they don't want to pay uh, or, or properly empower that uh, Black queer person. And you also know, or I'll, I'll just tell you that most likely a lot of the people in power or most, if not all the people in power uh, in the show would be white because we just don't have a lot of black queer showrunners or black queer producers um, or black queer execs. So for me asking for that power to have, to be part of that, whatever is not, is not just a, a rational ask, but it's an important ask, right? Because if you're gonna tell a story about a black queer person, you should probably have a black queer person in the room. And if it's about my life, you should probably have me in, in the room. So that's like my personal story, but that experience is happening across the board where there are companies that are saying Black Lives Matter or they are um, you know, posting a photo of their Black talent or their Black model. But then when you start to talk about well, the contracts and the, the actual power that these Black creatives have, they, we don't, we're not being, most of us are not being given the opportunity to have a seat at the table. We're just kind of like, look, you're in the room. You should feel good that you're, you're in the room. And it's like, no, that's not enough. Like we want to tell our yeah, story. Yeah, that's the bare minimum. It's not enough to, that's the bare yeah. minimum. And I think what, what it highlights, and I'm, you know, I think that this conversation around Black Lives Matter is gonna, it's an onion. There's gonna be a lot of layers that we're gonna to have to work through. And so everyone, as they should be, are focused on stopping the violence against Black people, as they should be. But to me, that is base, right? Black people saying stop killing us is base, that you sh mm. shouldn't be killing Black people to begin with, so but we're asking that. But then you also have to add on top of that, that part of making Black Lives Matter includes protecting us, protecting our rights, giving us equity. We, we have not had the same um, opportunities as a lot of our white counterparts. So you have to make up for that, um, as well as empowerment, like putting us in the positions, in the decision-making positions, as opposed to, uh, you know, just kind of dangling the fruit and saying, we'll put you on TV or we'll make your show, but you won't. Like Michaela Cole is such a perfect example. Yeah, we were going to say We were literally that. just about to ask that, yeah. Oh my God, such a brilliant <laughs> yeah. example of somebody who like is phenomenal. And honestly, if Michaela Cole comes to the table, especially after chewing gum and tells you I need A, B, C, D, E, you're like, we'll also give you F, Y through Z. <laughs> and the fact that that wasn't the response, that it was like, we'll give you this money, but we're going to keep the ownership. And then these other people are going to make money. Her agency is going to make money off of her deal you're just like oh this is gross and then people say like oh this is just not the way we do things i always think of the example i can't remember his name but it's this guy who made like this tiny little movie and then he directed jurassic park was his next film oh, and wow. it's like obviously as a straight white dude um yeah of course but <laughs> there's, this, there's this line that's fed to uh anyone who isn't a straight white guy, like you've got to really, you know, prove your chops and you've got to have experience with a middle sized budget, then a bigger budget, then a bigger budget. But if you're considered a genius white guy, it's like, no, 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 just give him what he needs. Absolutely. That, I mean, that was my, that was the pushback that I got in my most recent contract was this, isn't, this isn't the precedent. We don't do this. And my entire team and I, and a lot of my team members are white. We were like, that's bullshit. I know they, I know it's bullshit. They know it's bullshit because my team makes deals that, 
the the difference here is that I am not a straight white guy. Uh, and that's hard to say because it sounds crazy. You don't want it to be true. I don't want it to be true. I don't want to feel like, oh, the only thing that stands between me and um, doing the thing that I've been trying to do since I was 14 years old is my skin color. But I think the only way to change it is to name it, you know? Like we have to be willing to name when it's racist and when it's white supremacist and, and when it is bias and discriminatory so that we can actually have a shot at at changing that and it's like when you are personally experiencing something you know what it is like you put up yeah. a tweet saying um you know you I, you were going for a walk or something and a white yes. guy was staring at you and then you had all of these people commenting being like oh maybe he was just curious or maybe he was just maybe, blah, blah. Maybe. and it's like maybe not because i've lived this way my entire life and i and i know like you not you can feel it it's just like you bring up such a brilliant point i think inside of all of this which is if we are not living that experience and i'll use myself i am not living the experience of a black trans woman so i have to believe and understand that when a black trans woman tells me this is my experience this is the life that i'm living who am i to question that i have to like that's ridiculous i'm gonna go holy shit fuck and then i'm gonna step up and support her uh to not have to have those experiences but i'm not going to question whether or not but well are you sure that's what they're doing it's like no the end especially like to question people when the evidence is there like for for those people to comment on my thing and be like are you sure he wasn't just like hanging out and you're like <laughs> yes you just you, i'm i am sure but also like we just saw ahmaud arbery's name brianna taylor's name george floyd's name tony mcdade's name uh, Dominique Fells, like, and that's just in, we've just seen their names in the last couple of weeks. That doesn't include Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland and Amadou Diallo and Eric Garner and all these names. So no, I, he wasn't just hanging out. And I think you have to be willing to say, okay, let's name this thing. There is racism, there's white supremacy and black people are in danger. I think that's something as well about what's happened recently that I can imagine must be really frustrating. I remember Jay Farrow had an experience like a really horrible experience and i think he waited to speak out until he got the security footage because mm. he literally worried that if he couldn't prove that it had happened it wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't believe him or it wouldn't be as powerful and that's like a very 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 famous man um i wonder if there's like a there must be a feeling yeah. obviously of just frustration that in all of these cases that have inspired outrage they've only inspired outrage because you've seen it with your own eyes you know, it's like people won't take people's word for things. Sure. But we've also had footage for a while now. I mean, we watched, you know, Eric Garner be choked on camera uh, and, and we still didn't have the same outrage. We watched Philando Castile bleed out in his car uh, next to his wife and his daughter. And we still didn't, you know, so it's like it's not we had the footage of Sandra Bland interacting with that cop who was clearly the aggressor in that situation. Um, so it's not new. Uh, I mean, my feeling of why it's hit in this way is, you know, the evolution of social media, right? And so like, it's just people, more people plugging it. But also we have to kind of take into consideration that COVID-19 has locked everyone in their homes and you don't have the ability to pretend like you don't see something anymore. You don't have the ability, the ability to be like, oh, I'm going to work. I, oh, who got, oh, I don't know. But I, I have this, 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 and this, and this to do. Everyone's sitting at home. 
So like they're able to really digest and process. And it sucks that it takes a global pandemic to finally have people acknowledge that racism exists. But I do think that's a massive part of why uh, people are plugging in in a way that they haven't in, in recent years. And then now that everyone's, you know, it's been six or seven weeks since this huge whole thing kicked up back off again. Do you, do you feel, did you feel wary while it, while it was going so viral that this was just a moment and then now it's like less of a presence in people's feed? What, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when it first happened, I was surprised because I put out my first video, like, I think, literally like a day or two after George Floyd watching that video, which I also never watched videos. But for some reason, I watched that video. And that's probably why I put out my video. Um, and so it was unclear. It was just kind of like, oh, this is getting traction. I really thought just like my friends would watch and it might get a couple hundred views and that's it. And then all of a sudden we're at 50,000, all of a sudden we're at a million. Um, and then kind of noticing that that's happening e everywhere. Like, like, like a lot of people who speak about this and were speaking out, were seeing this kind of attention. So it was like, oh, this, and people are flooding the streets. Um, but I think what we're seeing now, I don't know if you've heard this term uh, start to come to the forefront, which is ally fatigue. Um, now we're seeing, we're seeing less, uh, engagement in the conversation um, because what I keep trying to impress upon people is that like this is not something that gets fixed in a week or in a summer or in a year you know you're talking about centuries of pain and trauma and systems that have to be burned down they have to be rebuilt as we rebuild them we're gonna fuck up we're going to have to learn from those fuck-ups and build some more until we get to a place where everyone has equity and is empowered and is protected. That takes work. And I think as people are starting to see just how much work it is and how much unlearning and how much unpacking there is, it's, they're, they're evoking their privilege to just kind of go back to business as usual. Um, and so I impress upon your listeners, upon anyone who comes across this, like, don't be that person. Don't, don't be that person who's like, I'm tired. I, like we're, we're actually, I think you have to remember that you are, you are talking about people's lives and it could be your life. It, you're, you're fortunate enough that maybe it isn't, but it could be. Uh, and even if it wasn't your life, it's like, I think that if your freedom comes at the expense of your neighbor's life, that's not freedom. It, it just isn't like somebody's losing their life so that you can like live comfortably. No, that, that there has to be another way for us to exist as humans. Mm. We wanted to talk about allyship fatigue as well, because yeah. we kind of feel like it kind of isn't a thing if you're white, because it's like I how fatigued said have you that. been? Yes, tell me, <laughs> like, I said it. We were just like, how fatigued can you be in six weeks? Like, what have you been doing with your time? Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you said it, because I'm literally, as we hang up, I'm about to post a thing from my last video, which is that I don't think ally fatigue is real. I think that it would that would imply that you've done something, <laughs> that you've made change, and there hasn't been any systemic change. All we have are companies, as we were talking about earlier, saying Black Lives Matter. We have murals, we have posts, we have people posting black squares. 
I was saying on another podcast, like, you know, they've removed the, um, the Golden Girls episode. And I was like, great, I don't feel safer. I don't feel safer because you removed an episode of television. Like, that's not... Yeah, like changing the, the bedrooms to, like, so they're not called master bedrooms anymore. It's like, cool, that should have just been done forever ago. Let's stop, like... Great, thank you people. so much. Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. Shouldn't we call master bedrooms? Fine. That doesn't give me my safety. That doesn't protect me. Um, and so, yeah, I think the ally fatigue, you're 1,000%. It is not real. It is... Um, it's just a... I think it's a, a term to, again cover up what is happening, which is racism and white supremacy and, and uh, uh, being apathetic, you know, like that, that's really what we're saying. We're saying you're kind of fine with how things are and, and you don't care, honestly. And, I, and you don't want to put in the real work beyond like watching a video on right. Instagram. And it's like, I want the video to be three minutes. I don't really want to sit down here for 30 minutes. You know, it's like, you, you're not really... I get it. It's hard. There's a lot to unlearn. There's a whole new way to live. And that's challenging. And it requires you to look in the mirror and be like, holy shit, I did some fucked up shit that I didn't know that I was doing or, and to wrestle with that. Um, but to make the choice to not do that, I just, fuck, like that's terrible. I feel like the only acceptable response was like what me and Izzy had a few weeks in where we were just like, how the fuck do people do this have do this not out of choice but their entire life like if this is your lived experience you don't get a choice and you're the fatigue like the quote unquote fatigue like that is that is 1000% your entire lived experience so if people are feeling tired now <laughs> you're telling me all the things y'all want to come over here hang out with me we want Sorry, to <laughs> yeah. Yes, if people are feeling tired now, yeah. But that's the thing. I'm like, it's insulting. It must be, I imagine it must be insulting to suggest that, like, you're too exhausted to keep working after six weeks. And saying that to people where they've had no choice but to live it for every minute of every day. It is. It is insulting. It is. You know, I think as black people, and I, I can, again, I, I like to always say we're not a monolith. Every black person is going to have their own take on this. But my personal take is, like, I'm not surprised, right? I think I've always been like, I am cautious. Like all of this like urgency, all of this outpouring, all of this sudden like, what's happening? We have to fix it. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, I remember I had somebody who I won't mention, um, like message me all this stuff. Like I want to do this, I want to do this. I wanna, and I, in my mind was like, you're going to burn out. Like you're trying to do too many things too quickly. And it's not about like that we don't need immediate change but we need sustainable change, right? I don't want your reactive change, which is like, I'm going to do this, but it's like, I would rather you as an individual find one thing, one corner of this fight that you can go hard a hundred percent, then try and be like in 15 corners of this fight and actually be doing nothing. That's where your ally fatigue mm -hmm. comes from is you're like, mm -hmm. I, you're not actually focusing on anything. You're not actually, um, developing a plan and seeing it all the way through. Uh, and so it is insulting as a black person who's like, I'm tired. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm honey, I'm tired. Like I'm tired. My mother is tired. My grandmother, if she were alive, would be tired. You're talking about like 80 something years of this bullshit. Like they're tired. So you being aware for six weeks and being like, I don't know, I just, uh, I can't do it. It's like, okay. 
not expect uh, not unexpected but still disappointing yeah there were a couple of things that you're you've really helped me with so i mean one one thing like literally when i was watching your videos and you were like write just actually write down three things that you can do just write yeah. them down. and then i was sitting there and i was like i like i was like oh fuck like i've been thinking i've been doing all of this work and i've been thinking i've been doing all these things and i'm like what's my third thing i was like jesus and then it actually makes you write I, I've, I've been like taking notes like i'm studying yes unlearn these things it's school it's an education you know our, our education systems and i can't speak to where you guys are but i know for america our education systems have failed us we haven't learned yeah, about privilege we haven't learned about black leaders you, you know you spend in terms of black history it's always in february and you spend like two weeks and it's like harriet tubman my martin uh martin luther king jr and like now everything's fine like that's the extent of it and there's no nuance to it and it's kind of like it's all good now and it's like no it's not good you have to actually re-educate yourself um or kind of unlearn what you learned and learn the truth and then implement it and i think the three things is super helpful because i think so often everyone um thinks big picture, which is important, right? Like we we do as our as countries need to think about the big picture of how black lives are are being protected. But there's also what are you doing in your community? There's also just like the business down the block, the grocery store around the corner, your apartment building that you live in. Like there are things that you can be doing in your community that are also just as important and just as impactful. Um, and sometimes it's like maybe you just need to start there and then build it out. What are the three things you're doing in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and then build it out from there, you know? I also um, loved when you made the distinction between people who are good allies and people who are effective allies. Yeah. Um, and then you broke down that there were several, like, several lanes of action that you think people need to be occupying at the same time in order to actually be effective in combating racism. Can yeah. you um, please just explain that concept for our listeners who may not have... For that. sure. I would love to. So basically I was saying that uh, a good ally to me is somebody who like, you know, signed a petition and like showed up to a protest and maybe even like posted uh, BLM. And that's good. It's, you know, it's, it's good. But it, it doesn't, again, make me any safer. Uh, and a good ally is able to kind of check in and check out of this fight as it is convenient to them. An effective ally thinks about systemic change versus reactive change, right? And when I think about reactive change, I'm thinking we hired a black person on our team. Uh, we, we painted a mural, we posted Black Lives Matter in our, in our store window, as opposed to systemic change, which is like, we are working on creating sy new systems. We are working on um, being invested all the time never unplugging, calling out racism at the dinner table, calling out racism in the boardroom, working on how do we get more Black people, people of color, queer people into this space, and how can we um, mentor them? How can we make sure they're set up for success? How can we bring people at the top level, the bottom level, the middle? It's not about tokenizing. It's really about like your diversity hire is useless if there's not inclusion. And that inclusion is about empowering, you know? And the other part of an effective ally is it's not about savior. It's not about being a white savior. Black people don't need to be saved, right? Like we didn't create race. So we didn't create racism. That is a white person ideology and it's up to white people to 
tear it down. So that's what I'm looking for as an effective ally is like, how do you tear down racism and racist systems? How do you also at the same time use whatever privilege you have in this current system to empower, protect, uh, and, and, and um, amplify and elevate Black lives? With the lanes of action, and there are more than these, but I was like, you know, if you're thinking about like, what are the lanes that I need to be writing in? I would think, you know, political. I would think socioeconomic. Um, I would think emotional, and I would think inter-emotional. And there are definitely others. You know, we could talk about healthcare. We could talk about, you know, medical. Um, but in those, what I'm thinking about is like, what are the policies that are being made, and 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 where can I? Who can I call? Who? Where? Do, when do I vote? Um, what are the laws? That's like your political, the socioeconomic, we're looking at like where people are living and how that's impacting them. And, you know, who's allowed to live in my building and, and who's allowed in my space and, and, and what are the wages and what are people making? And then I also think, which that's a lot of external work. Then there's this internal work, which is the emotional. So it's like, how are you and I interacting, right? Like you, before we started this conversation said, I wanna check in to make sure that you have the emotional bandwidth. That says to me that you're somebody that is plugged in and is doing your work and being considerate about how you interact with other black people in this fight that you're not putting it on me, that you're not burdening me, that you are considering my life and acknowledging how fucked up this is and you wanna make sure that I'm safe inside of this space, right? There are two white people and one black person. You wanna make sure I'm safe. That's emotional. The inner emotional is in order for you to get there, I would imagine that you had to look at some of your own behaviors. I would imagine that you had to watch some videos and read some things and have some conversations with white friends and white families, white family members. There's some inner work that you had to do so that you could show up in that emotional interaction with me. And so those to me are like, and there are, again, there are other lanes, but those to me are like four, if you're just starting out, those are the four big places that I would, I would focus on and make sure that you're doing work in each of those lanes. And as I even explain it, it sounds like a lot. Because it is. It is a lot. But it's the only way to be a... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Effective. Yeah, we wanted to talk about systemic change versus reactive change as well because we have seen, especially because we work in fashion magazines, so with fashion mm -hmm. especially, we have seen, there was like that meme that went around that was like 
all the blonde white girl emojis, black square, <laughs> and then like four black models. That's kind of been yeah. feeling. Yeah. And then recently there was, yeah. <laughs> and then recently there was this um, runway show in France with this brand called Jacquemus, who uh, their whole runway was incredibly diverse and everyone was celebrating mm. it. And then they uploaded a photo of their team and it was 30 white people. And it's Ugh. like, that is in a nutshell what we're all trying to figure out now because that's going to take longer but also reactive change can give this like false uh sense of progress being made so sometimes it can be worse for the cause than better for the cause a thousand percent again if you guys want to move over here can Can we move in with you all the way absolutely you're saying all the right things um yes it's because what that what reactive change is really is about it's about white guilt so it's about people feeling guilty in this moment and trying to disperse that energy and be like we have to do something i I feel terrible and so they make these choices uh or put out these statements or post the black square so that they can kind of release that guilt it's also rooted in branding right? And not wanting to look like a racist. Probably the most effective thing that designer could have done is released a statement that said, I'm realizing that my team is all white and that is unacceptable. And so here are the things that we are going to do to make sure that in the next five years, this team diversifies itself. That's a different, now you're talking about systemic change because what happens when that runway show is over? It happened and it goes. Am I safer? Are there black people empowered? No. They they walked a runway. Like, what were their contracts? I, I want to know how much money they made to walk that runway. You know, it's like that. That's a that's of a moment. And it, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm sure those models working is beautiful. Seeing those images is beautiful. But it's of a moment we go right back to the same bullshit the next day if you're not really thinking about systemic change. Reactive change is fleeting. It comes and it goes. Systemic change is really about the system itself being different so that the change is long lasting. You also did another amazing video with your husband, Matt. Yes, um, Matt. All (laughs) All about navigating being an interracial couple in America. Um, which is really interesting. How mm-hmm. have you guys both dealt with the topic of race and having very different lived experiences within your relationship? You know, before this, I would say that it came up, but we never, uh, you know, we're not like walking around the house being like, <laughs> you're white, I'm black. Let's talk about it. Like that wasn't, you know, it's like, that's Matthew and Brandon. And like, you know, he pisses me off because he leaves his socks everywhere. And I piss him off because I like clean everything. So like that is our dynamic. Um, but uh, after George uh, Floyd, finding out about like, George Floyd, we did sit down and we were like, oh, I realized that we don't really talk about race. We have had conversations, but we aren't like actively engaged in the conversation as it relates to our relationship which then presents these challenges of when something does happen, like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Dominique Fells, and I am feeling angry and mad and hurt by white people, I then have to reckon with the fact that I'm in a house with a white person who's also my husband and also loves me and wants to take care of me. 
And the only way for him to be successful at that is for us to have conversations. But I don't always wanna have conversations with him. So we're working on in the in-between having those difficult conversations so that when something happens, because unfortunately right now it's always just a matter of time, that he knows how to show up for me, that he knows how to um, be there for me. Uh, and it's a work, it's a process. I know we, like, we have our own, we have our own, like we have our own missteps and our own kind of like, okay, let's unpack that. Like, he's not perfect, I'm not perfect. We're trying to figure this thing out too. But I think what we do have that I try to offer in my videos is space. Space to educate so that he can make a different choice and a better choice as opposed to having the fuck up happen and being like, you suck, fuck you, get out of here, you should know better. Mm, I think that's, um, oh, sorry, you go. No, no, go, no, no, you go. I was going to say, I think that that's um, interesting how you say that. You know, you're feeling really angry at white people and then you're with a white man. And I I think with, um, I had a similar experience with the Me Too movement when that took off in 2017. Mm. And then suddenly all of these things that you'd been kind of normalizing and, um, you know, pretending didn't happen or whatever to, in order to survive and just carry on in the world, then you suddenly, it brings it all to the forefront. And then I just found myself just feeling so fucking angry at just me yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I was like, and it was a really hard, I'm still like working through it, but it's really hard to then not feel angry at them as a whole being. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent navigating like there is this entity that I'm pissed at that I know a lot of you are a part of. And then there are these people that I have personal relationships with who also hold that identity and have maybe made microaggressions or misstepped in ways that did hurt me. That, that were harmful. And so now I have to reckon with that. And I'm not talking about like, again, like overt sexual assault or overt racism. I'm talking about something where it's like, I'm going to use race more than, um, than gender because I, I can speak more about that, which is like, um, you know, somebody, uh, a friend of mine, like touching my hair as a base example. We're friends. We have that relationship. It is what it is. But maybe I don't want you touching my hair because I wouldn't touch your hair. And that doesn't make them a bad person, but there's just a conversation that we now need to have. And so that's what I think I've been trying to reckon with Matthew and with my other friends is like, oh, I just haven't been talking about this. On one hand, you should know better, but on the other hand, to honor our relationship, I can also tell you what I need from you because maybe there's a world in which you just don't know. And I can offer you the opportunity to make a different choice. Now, if you make the same choice and you touch my hair again, that's the one I'm gonna cut you off. That's when it's like, okay, goodbye. See, <laughs> you some function. One of our favorite podcasts, Bobo and Flex, were talking about this the other day, and they were saying the sooner white people realize that they're also part of a system, the better. Mm-hmm. It will, instead of taking everything so personally and being like, "Wait, but I'm not the, I'm not a, I'm not a racist," yes. then yes, the quicker change will happen. Yes, the defensiveness is like, it's a waste of time. It's like, yes, you are. You're part of it. It is what it is. Now let's do better. As opposed to trying to prove to me that you aren't a part of it. Because after a day, weeks, months, years of fighting, I promise you what you're going to come to is like, oh, yes, I am. 
I promise you, you're going to come to, yes, I am. There's no way that you couldn't be. You are conditioned. You've been unconscious inside of a system that is rooted in it for your entire life. To think that you are the exception to the rule would be wild. And I like to also give the example that I, as a Black person, also grew up in the same system, also grew up with the same images of Black people and had to do my unlearning. I had to, I had my awakening at 20 years old. I'm now 33, where it was like, oh my goodness, I have been trying not to be like the Black people on TV because I was taught that the Black people on TV were criminals. And oh my goodness, I have been responding to my own people as though they were criminals and have also been responded to by my own people as though I'm a criminal. But that is because we were raised in the system that perpetuates that representation. And so it's like, you have to, you can't think that you're exempt from the conditioning. All you can do is say, the quicker you can go, I, I have been conditioned, I am a part of the system, then you can really get to work. Then you can become an effective ally. We wanted to talk about that initial video that went viral because that was you kind of talking yeah. to your white friends. Um, did, did that actually foster an amazing relationship with the individual friends that you wanted to talk to as well as like facilitating conversations with people you'd never met before? I think it definitely deepened some of my friendships. I will say that like, I, I feel blessed that a lot of the people that are closest to me had already been doing their work, but I think it kind of highlighted that there was more work to be done, um, which was beautiful to, to, to have them one acknowledge that um, and to now have this like new, I don't know, this this new depth of our relationship. You know, it's I think of a friendship and relationships as like a well, and it just like was like this trap door opened, and now there was like more, there's further down to go, uh, a deeper friendship to be built. Um, so yes, it did foster an evolution in those relationships, uh, one that I think has brought me closer to a lot of people. Um, and then with, the stra- with strangers, it's been interesting, and I'm sure you guys know this too, where it's like, Social media is a is a funny place where everybody gets to exist. Uh, and so everybody gets to say what they want. And I will say for the most part, everyone's been very nice, but I think there is a level of ownership that people feel over their, uh, anyone who is, has like some level of influence. So I think what I started to get as more followers came in was that people just felt like the door was open. And in many ways it is because I'm posting, uh, but it goes beyond the comments. It goes into like your DMs and it goes into like how people are speaking to you and, and in what way, sometimes harmful way they're speaking to you without asking if I have the emotional bandwidth to have that conversation. Does that make sense? Because they just kind of feel like, I don't know, we feel, I think we feel this in celebrity culture in general where you feel like, well, ask Beyonce so I can say whatever I want because I know Beyonce. And it's like, oh, no, you don't know Beyonce. <laughs> like, you can't talk about her child like that. And it's like stuff like that where you're like, you can't talk about my marriage or me or, or whatever. So it's been interesting navigating that because I'm trying to keep my, uh, my mental space, if you will. Sorry, I'm just cutting out. I'm so sorry about the banging and screaming. I have a toddler in the house who's like losing <laughs> her fucking mind right now. 
Like, like there's like furniture being dragged around the house. She's creative. She's, like, She's like, creating. It's fine. <laughs> She's living her life. I get it. Yeah, but there was like, um, Sophia Rowe. I don't know if you follow her, but she's just like so awesome. She's a New York based chef but she does a lot of videos but she was saying that she was getting dms after the after she got an influx of followers of people being like my uncle said like a racial slur at the table what do i do and she was like what the fuck like i get those questions like, all sort the that time. out she was like i'm yeah she was like wait wait didn't someone didn't someone comment on your post saying yes. what is bipoc and you were like go to google i was like oh god <laughs> and then people got mad at me because i said go to google and i was like I'm so, like, I can't, like, it's not, it's not yeah, my job to, you know, what I say, it's like research is important. And I, Quinta Brunson, who's an incredible comedian, uh, had uh, posted a tweet that was like, you know, I think something to the effect of like, I think people before they speak should research, they should research some more, they should sit down and they should research some more and they should research some more. And it's like, research is such an important part of this. Before you come to that Black influencer on Instagram or even to your Black friend, it's like, do your research. I'm sure there are other white people who've asked the same question and have an answer for you. Why are you asking your black friend how to talk to your racist white uncle? Because to me, it's like, I wouldn't be at that dinner. That's how I would handle it. I, I would not be at that dinner, but that I don't have, I don't have the luxury to be in space with somebody making racist jokes. Like I could never withstand that. So that's not. And that's also like a white person like a problem that a white person can help you fix. I always yeah. say, I'm just like, what? Like, I like talk to other white friends who've been like, well, I did this. I, I got up and left. That's or I, told them I don't see like, th yes. that's not your, you don't have that experience. That's so not why my experience. Have <laughs> like, that's not a question for a black person. Yeah. That is a question for a fellow white person. That is not all I could tell you is like, I, and I did a video and the video is basically saying like, I don't have an answer to that. You know, what do you say to your racist uncle? But all I can say is like, keep yourself accountable. Keep yourself in check. You know, like what, like you do your research, you come back with your facts, you know what's going on in the world, you stay plugged in. That's all I can say to you asking about a, a racist uncle is that like, well, what, what's going on in, in your character um, and how are you showing up? Uh, and And that's, that's all I can offer on that subject. <laughs> you know, it's like I, yeah. And I think that's, and the, I think for a lot of white people, they feel like they don't, I think at the start of this movement, everyone was like, well, we feel like we're going to say something wrong or we don't know what to say. Or we don't know enough about this to speak on it because we don't know enough about these issues. And it's like, the more you learn about anything, the more comfortable you are speaking about it. It's just, it's riding a just bike. Like so simple. It's like, I can't speak. Yeah. Riding, riding a, bike. a bike. I can't speak French. So I don't feel comfortable. So I'll learn some. And then the first time you start. ride a bike, you don't like go like, Oh, I'm going to go to the fucking like the, the combat competitive <laughs> bike mountain, mountain biking. biking. <laughs> like, you're like, no, I'm going to do some training wheels, <laughs> do that for a little bit. And then I'm gonna take the training wheels off and see what happens. And inside of that example, mm. which I think is why it's such a popular metaphor is that like, you're going to fall. You're going to fall, you're going to get back up. Mm -hmm. You're going to scrape your knee, you're going to get back up. I think the the key is that you get back up, you know? And you are always, and, and you know, I think our society has, you know, with cancel culture has a little work to do around being more gracious with allowing people to fuck up and take ownership and evolve and grow and, and, and learn from their mistakes. But I also think that, you know, if you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, the easiest thing to do is like, hey, Isabel, I, I want to say this thing. I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong. 
Um, so, but, but I just want you to know that I, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to, are you okay if I just say this thing right now and then we can kind of work through it together? And then you go, uh, I'm not in the space to do that with you right now. Or you go, yeah, I am. What you've done is you've created a safe space. You've acknowledged where your shortcomings are. Uh, and then we can work through it together and you can learn some more as opposed to what I think and you can tell me if this is the same for, for where you guys live, but it's like in America, there's such a value on being right and being perfect and knowing everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like in this situation, white people are being confronted with like, you don't know everything. In fact, you don't know a lot of shit and that's okay. You're going to learn it, but it's okay that if in this moment you don't know it, you don't know how to say it, you don't know whatever, Google, get a book. You know, like watch some videos, learn, but, but, but get on that bike, like get up on that bike. We just wanted to quickly ask about the concept of accountability partners, because it seems like such yeah. a simple and effective way that people, uh, non-black people, white people can. Yeah, like, can stay doing the work, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I come, I used to be a, a spin instructor and a bar instructor and I, in fit world of fitness, you know, I'm sure everyone that's like try to diet or try to work out has been like, you should get a, an accountability, accountability partner who like you have to meet at the gym at 8am. And so that, that'll make you do it more because you know, that there's somebody depending on you. And so I was saying that I oppose that idea for your anti-racism work, where instead of like trying to rely on your black friends or, you know, your the black people on Instagram or, or on Twitter, why don't you find a fellow white or non-black person who is also committed to this work and check in with each other? Maybe it's every day, maybe it's every week, maybe it's every hour of every day, but you check in with each other and you say, okay, cool. Like, what did you watch today? What, what did you read this week? What interesting articles did you find? Uh, and like swap those. And then also like, um, I think I did, I don't, I, I had this experience at work. This is how I handled it. I don't know if I handled it right. What do you think? Oh, well, based off of my experience, I think you might've done that right. Um, or like if you, I always think about this with gendering, you know, if you misgender somebody, having that accountability partner be like, uh-uh, nope, that's not the right pronouns. You know, like having somebody who can call you out and can hold you accountable to get to that place that you're trying to get to of being like an effective ally. And more than that, just being like a really good human, you know? Um, and it's easier to do that with like-minded people. And so I think having an accountability partner just is similar to what you were saying earlier about like writing down, what are the three things I can do? It's just another way to like see systemic and effective change as opposed to, I'll get to that when I get to that. And another thing that is just such a simple way to learn more is to just expand your media diet, which I know yes. you've talked about before. Um, and so we just wanted to know what are some of your favorite shows and movies that you think are kind of totally underrated and that everyone should be watching and that will just help people to just see other people's perspective well it's not underrated i think it's very like and it's not overrated either it's like fantastic but i may destroy you as a as one of my favorite shows yeah. right now um that i've been telling everyone to see because i think what michaela does i mean michaela and that cast is so brilliant um it's lit beautifully it's shot beautifully it's written beautifully it's acted masterfully uh and 
race isn't at the center of it. It's a story about this woman and this experience, this awful experience. It's about her experience, her friend's experience, but it's race isn't the center conversation about it. I think that's important. Like race informs our lives and what we do, but like the in media, oftentimes the only time that we're the leads is like when I'm coming out of the closet or like when I had a really bad racial interaction, that's when our characters come to the forefront, but we don't get to like have any other experiences. So I love I May Destroy You. Um, I've been watching, which is also on HBO, HBO Max, uh, old episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, old episodes of Living Single, um, which are 90s black sitcoms, but again, weren't rooted like their storylines weren't about them being black because it's an all black cast when i go with my black friends we don't sit around and talk about being black <laughs> like we talk about what we're watching we talk about our favorite candles <laughs> we talk about you know like just life and so i think hearkening back to some of those 90s shows is is a good tool because they are all black cast and some of the most iconic shows that are definitely underrated um, yeah, that's that's yeah. what I love Insecure for. Oh, it's just like yes. it's just four women my age living in America, but they just happen to be black, and they're just having the exact same experience as me: dating, going on dating apps, like all of these things that you just never ever see. Yeah, they're having like the experience that you would have just as a woman to woman, and then you notice that there are like shadings that are impacted because they are black, and so there are references that you might not get or whatever, and that's because I've always said like I had to watch Friends. Friends is about six white people in New York City where I grew up. I don't relate to all of their references but I was still able to enjoy a little bit of Jennifer Aniston and or Phoebe. I loved Phoebe. Alisa Kudra. So it's like I think that for so long um, Black people and, and, and POC have had to be, and I've said this, had to be well versed in whiteness just because those were the TV shows that were out. And we've been able to find ourselves. Maybe it's taken a little more work, but we've been able to connect to the shows. But white people haven't been forced to be well-versed in our cultures and in our identities. And I think that that's what you need to do in your media is like, well, why am I not watching Insecure? What's that about? And let me put that on. Yeah. Or like, why haven't I watched this other thing or, or where there's you know, a black lead or a female lead or a queer lead? Um, and then watch it watch a couple episodes and you may not like it because you don't like it and that's fine but also like be critical like critically think and critically ask your questions like am i not liking this because i feel like i don't understand it am i not liking it because i don't see myself like like what what are the reasons that i'm not liking it or i am liking it i think that's important the last question we wanted to ask you there's such a big conversation about how to pay digital creators anyway but there's like an added element with the fact that your work is so rooted as we said in emotional labor um what what is your feelings about that whole thing and do you have a venmo that we can (laughs) send money to oh uh I am, you know, I think that digital creators should be paid. And I think that uh, I've been seeing a lot of, um, especially the ones uh, right now, especially the black creators uh, who are doing a lot of talk around this, around race and around helping people kind of understand. I think they should absolutely be paid. Um, I think that big corporations and companies should also be stepping in to pay them to come in and do trainings and talk. But I also think that, you know, if you are, uh, 
if you find yourself going to this person's page all the time, then like, yeah, they have a Venmo, Venmo them um, and support their work because they're supporting your learning. And, and you would pay to go to school, you would pay to get a bagel, you would pay for anybody else's work and this is somebody's work. And by paying them, one, you're showing that you value them. And two, um, you're allowing them to continue to do the work. You're allowing them to continue to, to, to put in the labor. I don't have a Venmo for, for this. Um, I, I feel weird because I work in Hollywood and I feel like, like I, I feel like I, my financial life is, is where it is and, and I feel like good about it. So I would rather that people Venmo um, a nonprofit. I would rather you send the money to the Bail Project or to um, the Innocence Project or uh, to uh, uh, Tech Trans Social uh, Enterprises. Like any, there's so many incredible, uh, the Black Trans uh, Travel Fund, the Okra Project. There are just so many incredible, incredible, incredible organizations that are working so hard towards Black liberation um, and, and helping Black trans people and Black queer folks. And so I would rather you send the money there honestly. Thank you so much for your yes, time. It has you. been such a pleasure yes. speaking to you. We appreciate it so much. Um, and we know our listeners thank you for having me. are going to absolutely love this episode. Yes. Yay. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. And I hope to talk to you guys yes, soon. Yeah, absolutely. we will. Well, we'll be in LA as soon as we freaking can. So we yes. would love to and see you. And you're going to move it. You're going to move it to my house. We're going to move to your house. We're going to take you out for margaritas. <laughs> We're going to go to the, yes. uh, the Abbey, which is my favorite bar in LA. <laughs> yes. We'll go to the Abbey. We'll the do Abbey it. We'll do it all. Okay. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Take care guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.